And hopefully all of you have spent this weekend seeing Christopher Robin and that it got all of you right in the feels too. That was none other than the incomparable Jim, Jim Cummings voicing who else but Winnie the Pooh. Um, welcome to another another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, and you can find my movie reviews and interviews, including those with the cast and crew of Christopher Robin, uh, in print and online, in U.S. and abroad, around the globe, 24-7, and of course, on BehindTheLensOnline.net. But every Monday, you can find me right here, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on Adrenaline Radio. And we've got a great, great show today. And, of course, our embargoes are lifted. Christopher Robin is out in theaters, so I can talk about my love for the film and the force of poo today. But joining us, we've got two incredible live guests who are going to be calling in today. Uh, First up at the quarter hour mark will be Heather McComb. Pretty bad actress, but I got to tell you. She's a pretty darn good actress in a pretty darn funny movie called Pretty Bad Actress. Uh, Heather's going to be joining us uh, at the quarter hour mark. At the half hour mark, a television titan. You know his works, which range from everything from Who's the Boss, Charles in Charge, Sybil, Big Bang Theory, Two and a Half Men, Murphy Brown, The Love Boat, Lee Aronson, producer, writer, director, who makes his feature directorial debut with the, one of the coolest documentaries around, 40 Years in the Making, the Magic Music Movie. I can't wait to talk to Lee uh, at the half-hour mark. There is so much to talk to him about. I mean, this is a man that has survived Charlie Sheen. So, you know, we got a lot to cover with him, but particularly about the Magic Music Movie, all about the 1970s, Soft rock, folk rock group, uh, acoustic group, magic music, um, whose style I can only describe akin to something like Loggins and Messina or Pure Prairie League, both of whom had that early 70s vibe going on. So um, I'm very thrilled to have Lee joining us on the show today. But before we get to Heather and Lee, let's talk about Pooh. Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin. Disney has done it again with Christopher Robin. Ewan McGregor stars as the adult Christopher Robin. Haley Atwell stars as his wife. Jim Cummings voices Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, of course. Uh, Brad Garrett voices Eeyore, which I have to say I think is probably the best Eeyore we have ever had in any Pooh incarnation. But the film is pure enchantment. It is a magical delight. It is sweeter than a pot full of honey, of course, spelled H-U-N-N-Y. 
This is the stuff which memories and magic are made from. Um, it is, if you haven't seen the film, if you have seen the film, your heart just overflows as you watch this. Um, what I particularly love about this film and what director Mark Forster did was with this story. And for those of you watching on the Facebook live stream, uh, I have here my folio editions of Winnie the Pooh in the House at Pooh Corner. And these are original covers with the original illustrations by E.H. Shepard. So I'm holding this up for the live stream. Pam's nodding. Yes, it can be seen. It is Shepard's drawings of Pooh, of Piglet, of Kanga and Roo and Owl and Rabbit and Tigger too. Um, these are the, uh, the stuffies or the animals that we see come to life in Christopher Robin. It is not the fluffy animated version of anything. Uh, the... The animals are true to Shepard's original drawings, which is fabulous. And the story of Christopher Robin picks up at the end of the House of Pooh Corner when Christopher Robin goes off to boarding school. This story is an absolute joy, but it is truly Ewan McGregor's boyish charms and the elan that he has when childhood comes back into his life, the joys of childhood. And Winnie the Pooh. Um, I can't say enough about Forster's direction. I can't say enough about the story. The story is well told. It touches, it is resonant for the child within each of us. Um, it is one of my favorite films of the year. And I have to say, one of the thing, elements that really makes this such an incredible film is... Matthias Koenigsweiser's cinematography, which is handheld, which works beautifully with the photorealistic animation that brings Pooh and his friends to life. Um, by using, by Mark Forster's decision to use actual stuffed animals, the actual stuffed um, creations, that way it allows the actors and the animators thereafter to capture the actual weight and floppiness or lopsidedness of the particular animal in question. Um, but it is just absolutely gorgeous. The music is incredible. And lo and behold, what do we have? Three new original songs by Richard Sherman, who, of course, wrote songs for the original animated Pooh films, uh, which have graced everybody's homes, televisions, theaters for decades now. Um, if you haven't seen it, see it. If you've seen it, go see it again. This is not just a fam. This is a family film from the youngest to the oldest, and it will awaken or reawaken the child within each of you. It is amazing. Uh, and yes, I love it. I truly do love this film. And hey, go buy the books. Reading is fundament fundamental. Get Winnie the Pooh in the house at Pooh Corner. And for those of you that are really looking for a special treat with the with the books, go to the Folio Society online and get and order them from there because they are beautifully bound. Uh, they've got the gilt edging. They have the original page layouts uh, from the original books, the drawings, uh, 
it's just absolutely a fabulous presentation that truly complements what Disney does on screen with Christopher Robin. But let's take a listen to some of the antics and hijinks that happened during the recent press day for Christopher Robin, starting with Ewan McGregor and Haley Atwell. Hey, stranger. Good to see you again. Hello, how are you? Nice to see you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. This is obviously still with you in this film, but it is The Force of Pooh, Uh, as opposed to The Force of... Which is a great title for something. And I have to say, this one is much more magical to that of the Jedi. Yes. Yes, well, the Jedi have got their own magic. There's no question about that. You know, what is the magic of Winnie the Pooh for both of you? Pooh has been a part of everybody's childhood growing up. I'm sure it was part of yours. Part of your daughters, all yeah. of your daughters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what is it about the magic of Pooh that attracts yourselves to his stories? Yeah. Uh, well, I think yeah, my grandparents' generation, my mother's generation, my aunt still has a kanga on her bookshelf. It was, uh, it, the, it, and it's all very, it was very quintessentially English. There's an idealism of this kind of quaint world of Hundred Acre Wood and these little animals. Um, there's an innocence, I think, that we all relate to because it's it, this childhood innocence of spending long summer days with your best friends just hanging out not mm. doing anything. Mm. And so the kind of, I think the the appeal is always that, just that sense of just, there's a gentleness and a safety in that world of friendship when you're a child, when you don't have any of the burdens of responsibility or before, you know, before big things happen to you, where you can create your reality very much within your own imagination in your back garden. That's kind of a universal appeal, I think. Mm. Mm. And what about for you, Ewan? So I could put it any better than that. That was great. I like. Well, I mean, in terms of just what appealed to me, it was um, Mark approached me first, and I'd worked with Mark, and in, in, I can't remember when, two thousand and three, I think we made a film called Stay in New York, which was a weird and wonderful movie with Ryan Gosling and Naomi Watts and I, and uh, I've always sort of bumped into Mark and stayed somewhat in touch with him over the years, and when he got in touch with me about this, I was I, he'd, he, we'd spoken about some other projects in the meantime that mm-hmm. hadn't worked out for one reason or another. And when he spoke to me about this, I loved the way he talked about it. I loved the way he described it. As, and it didn't sound to me like a sort of Disney remake in a way. It sounded, it sounded the way he talked about it, it just sounded like what you see in the movie. There's yeah. a sort of artfulness to it, a... There's a, so almost a darkness to it, yeah. which is surprising. Which you see in some of Mark's other work. Yeah. That was an appeal to me as well when I when the the call to, to have a chat with him about it. It felt that it was a very individual filmmaker coming in here and, and taking a story that is obviously under the umbrella of this huge, uh, huge institution of Disney that that absolutely have you know been telling Pooh's story from that perspective all these years but having someone like Mark come in who's a very individual filmmaker himself and has a very distinct look and and has lots of different kind of movies I thought well, that's that's really interesting to me I think that that is a, he's very creative and that was an appeal mm-hmm. but it, what, what Mark did beautifully was cast each character there was an, a real actor for every character and he he cast young um Actors who mainly who had just come out of drama school and they were yes. so enthusiastic, theatre training and talented, yeah, real and character good. actors, yeah. yeah. And so they would they would play the first takes with us and um, uh, many times actually in the shot, just holding the sort of teddy bear. So there was there was a there was a real version of each of these. I've got a poo. I, I, I got a, I got a bootleg poo out the back yeah. door. Bronte, who played Madeline, got piglet. <laughs> 
I got a gramophone. Did you? Yes. <laughs> Mark got all of them, but he, they Disney charged him for them. Anyway, uh, I got mine secretly, uh, my poo, and um, so there was a real version of each one, <laughs> and we got to play the first takes with that. And um, there was a, an actor called David who played Pooh, and he would hold the bear and move him. And if we were walking, he had him on this little harness with a pole. And he would be able to sort of walk him along with me. Who in a harness? Even that's, that's, so, I mean, that's kind of <laughs> But so slowly, I was saying to David, can we just get him moving? And he said, no, he'd been taught exactly how long it would take Pooh to make a step. And so it was so slow. But um, it became real. We'd do the first takes with the real bear or Tigger or Eeyore or whatever. And then... Um, they would step the actors out, sometimes leaving the, poo, the the teddy bear there if it was just static in the scene. And if not, you just had to sort of pretend you were looking at him and then you'd do... There was various other ones, a grey one, Headless. one with no head. No, no limbs. <laughs> there was one just that was a just rod. a body. There was one with Pooh's torso with no head, legs or arms, which was sort of really... A, it was like the horror version, <laughs> wasn't it? You and I can't see anybody but you as Christopher Robin. No, it's nice um, your boyish charms just are perfect for the child within the man that we see come out. So I'm curious, how did you get into the Christopher Robin as an adult but a child mode? The minute you pinch your nose and you jump into the creek, oh, yeah. it's like the whole film explodes there and, we <laughs> and there you are. You are a kid. You are a young Christopher yeah. Robin again. And the freedom that you bring to the screen and the pure joy that oh, emanates. That's nice. Well, that's lovely. It was very much in the in the writing. You know, it, there, there was a very clear that was the that was his story, wasn't it? That he that he who helps him to find this the child in him again, who he, who he was when we first see him at the beginning of the movie, mm. and then life happens to him, and he's he's lost that, and he and he who helps him back to that. So it was sort of very. It was, I suppose it was quite hard in the, some of the earlier scenes with Haley and also with Bronte not to be too, like, you know, there's the scene where I'm reading her a story or, or, or when you send me up to tell her that I can't come to the countryside and I go up there. I mean, there was, you know, there's a, it was hard to, to, pull, to hold back, like, to make Christopher not... Emotionally intelligent. Yeah, not, yeah. No, just anyway. not engaged well, like, in her and, and like yeah. not and and not to notice that he is. I'm like, like, yeah, because that's especially that, if you feel because you seem to me to be the opposite of that. Like you pick up nuance of that. So like to have to, I find that as an actor quite hard. Of you have to play not aware of the mm. situation where you are. You would be very aware of it, or you would be sensitive enough to know that that. Like I would want to kind of step in and, and yeah it just you'd have to kind of hold back right yes yeah pretend that you don't know but he doesn't know but he doesn't he, know, at yeah. that point he doesn't know that so those scenes were sort of the hard ones to the hardest ones to play but they're of course very important to make to yeah. tell the story mm -hmm. but also not coming across as mean spiritual yeah, yeah. or yeah but just, yes. just kind of just not understanding but i love that because that that the scenes with us in the house at the beginning are very set that up beautifully i think mm -hmm. you know when he comes back home and they're yeah. He's got to do this thing at work, and you can see your frustration. But you can you can see that they there's love. They love each other, yeah. and it's very yeah. important that that you know that that's that we understand that. Otherwise, we don't root for them. Like oh, who exactly. cares if they're just you want if they them don't... to come back and I want them to get the sense of if you see them in the beginning, kind of dancing and they're just mm. having this kind of love together, this beautiful kind of connection. Then you know what is at stake for him if he loses it or can't find his way back to that, and you think. 
you know, what a missed opportunity to have this wonderful life with this this woman who loves him and this beautiful daughter that wants to just be with him. And that's all that they want. You know, that's kind of the... the the, the, the misunderstanding of a man trying to provide and the woman's just going, I don't, what are you trying to aspire to get? Yeah. Like, your life is here now. Like, you're missing what your life actually is by trying to attain something. You've already got it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a very sweet part of the film. And we will come back to more of Christopher Robin and hopefully hear what all that Jim Cummings had to say about the legacy of Pooh, Tigger voicing them and how he brings them to life in Christopher Robin. But first, I'm very thrilled. We have the wonderful, very good actress playing a pretty bad actress, uh, Heather McComb. Hi, Heather. Welcome. Hi. How are you doing? I am fine. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Oh, my God. I have to say, I laughed myself silly watching Pretty Bad Actress. Oh, that makes me so happy. Thank you. I'm so glad that it did. That was your intention. I mean, it just, you know, it, I didn't know what to expect. I know this film was done a number of years ago. And now it finally, ha- it finally has distribution. I think this is one yeah, of the, one, one of the longest films. One of the longest films that I can remember that has been on the shelf until it finally now has distribution. And I can't, after seeing it, I can't understand what the delay was because it is so funny. Um, you are amazing. And, of course, playing opposite Stephanie Hodes, just pure comedy from, you know, dark comedy from beginning to end. Oh, thank you so much. We, we appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, this movie has definitely um, been a journey for sure. But that's, that's the thing about independent film. You know, you, you go and you get a group of amazing people together and you put in 100% and you really just genuinely don't know what's going to happen. And you really, you put in so much effort and you, and, and you really want it to find a home. So no matter how long it, it, it takes to find a home, it really is worth it when it does. And I'm just so excited that people now get to see this movie. And I'm so proud of it. I'm proud to be a part of it. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited that you enjoyed it. And I hope everybody else does as well. Oh, I mean, you are just... I'm so used to seeing you in the one-offs. Because I know for a while you had a stretch there, Party of Five, Profiler, The Outsiders, Prison Break. But I know you more from your one-offs. I think you've done every police procedural there is. CSI, Castle, <laughs> uh, Bones, Rizzoli and Isles. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I've, done every, I've done every CSI. I did New York, Miami, Cyber. I did all of the CSI. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I mean, I, I love playing one officers. They're super fun and procedurals are fun to do. But I often haven't had the opportunity to do a lot of comedy. I do mostly drama. I do right. Mostly dramatic work. So this was really fun for me to just kind of be able to let loose and really get into the Gloria character. She was so she was so incredibly fun to play because she's even though she's, she's funny, she's funny through her pain. She's gone through a lot of tragedy and a lot of life experience, and um, she was just she, she was quite a character. She was just so much fun to play. Well, I have to say, um, and I'm going to have your writer your writer director Nick uh, Scowan on the show next week. 
But what what Nick does with this story, because you play this washed up child star, Gloria Green, who can't get away from the sing songy character that she played for so long as a child, Trudy. And I got to tell you, the Trudy song, that is annoying as can be. If I had, if I had to listen, if I had to li- go through my life being associated with that one song and listening to that every time people walked up to me, which made me laugh in particular, where Gloria is auditioning for something, and the director, who's played by Blaine Weaver, whom I know and who has done the show before. Um, oh, I love Blaine. He's a great guy. I've known him for many years. Oh my God. He's very talented, but watching him, oh, please, 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 just a little bit, sing the song, sing the song. And it's like, oh, my God. I I think I would have ended up in the same place as the Gloria did, tanking herself. Yeah, I mean, can you you imagine? I grew up in this business since I was was a young kid. So I had a lot of friends that, you know, were famous and on TV shows. And it was a little different back then. I mean, we didn't have quite paparazzi and stuff like that, like that, that a lot of um, celebrities have to with now. But, you know, it is it is a hard thing um, when you are on one of these shows and you get sort of known for it. Um, it can be it can be very um, disheartening for the actress who's trying to break out, or actor who's trying to break out of that and do something else. And when you meet Gloria in this movie, she's really trying to get her life together and really trying to get that next big role. Um, but unfortunately, everybody just, you know, has her as You know, and that's what I love because we have seen situ- train wreck situations like this in real life. And the fact that Nick pulled that from a lot of what we've seen over the, sadly have seen over the years, um, but turned it around uh, so that he found a dark humor that he could tap into with the story, of course, by having Gloria kidnapped. And of course, be- <laughs> And of course, be kidnapped with her greatest fan. So of course, we've got a little a little touch of Kathy Bates' misery going on here as well. Um, and then he throws in another little slice with the kidnapper, with some little touches that make you think of Silence of the Lambs. And I'm just roaring as I'm watching this with all these little touchstones that send these images into your head. And then your performance that is playing this out on screen opposite Stephanie as uh, your your biggest fan and fan club president, Donnie, it is too delicious. Absolutely delicious. Oh, that's so sweet. And Stephanie did a a fantastic job. I mean, that was her first week in the movie. And and she just came in every day so prepared and, and really killed that role. It was super fun to work opposite her. And she just, you know, and, and I, I give a lot of credit to Nick as well. He just gave us so much room and freedom to play and really to um, explore these characters. And she just, I think, just killed the role, especially, you know, you saw the movie. Her, her character goes through quite an arc. Oh, yeah. Now, i got to ask you, where, you know... Do you have any comedy training? Because your comedic timing here, for the most part, it's very wry, it's very deadpan, but it's spot on. And as you know, doing primarily drama, comedy is 
a lot harder because of that timing factor. Did you find any uh, well, challenges? You know, it's, 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 such a, it's such a great question because, you know, I have, I have done some comedy, just not a lot of comedy. That I'm not very, you know, it's not what I'm known for. So right. I think a lot of people get surprised when they're like, oh, hey there, you're funny. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thanks so much. But I think for me, um, you know, I love comedies and I love, I love, uh, I love dry comedies. I love dark comedies. I love comedies that are based in, in, in truth. Um, those are, that's what I, I, I love the script so much because as funny as it was, it was really based in truth. Um, so for me, I just kind of, I just kind of went for the truth of where she was at every single moment. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, Nick really encouraged me to kind of, kind of push it. And we do like, you know, we, we would do a lot of improv scenes, especially when we were in the, um, in the basement. You know, he would say, oh, just go off here, go off on a tangent here. So I would, and I think having that, that creative freedom to just kind of just be silly, but in truth, is, is such a great gift. So I just kind of, I just kind of went for it. And I watched a lot of, like, dark movies during that time and, and kind of trying, trying to, you know, get the tone. And, you know, and, and so I'm so grateful that I, I, I get to make people laugh for a change. <laughs> you know, well, I've got, I've got to ask you, Heather. I know the neck of the woods where you come from quite well. So how does how does a, a young girl from Barnegat, New Jersey, wind up making pretty bad actress? Oh, it's been quite a journey. It's been quite a journey. I I started acting when I was a, a very young kid in Barnegat, New Jersey, and my sweet mother, God bless her, would literally drive three hours, two and a half, three hours, um, sometimes a day. Um, after school, or sometimes we got to take off school, and we would go audition in New York. My sister and I, she's an actress as well, five years older. And she would, you know, send us into the city. And I didn't really have quite a desire when I was so young. And then I was sitting on, you know, my mom's lap, and they, they asked me to come in for a commercial. And I was like, okay, I was two. What did I know? I actually got the commercial, which is funny. And, um, you know, then you kind of keep exploring it. I kept auditioning. I had some, you know, did a bunch of commercials. And then, you know, I did my first big movie when I was 11 um, called New York Stories that Francis Ford Coppola directed. And that was quite a win for me being an 11-year-old girl from Barnegat, New Jersey, who really <laughs> did come from nothing. Um, and that movie really did change my life. And they, Francis Ford Coppola was doing a television show um, called The Outsiders. And I came out here, I flew out here, I auditioned for it, and I wound up getting it. And that moved my family out to Los Angeles. Wow. And, you know, I was blessed to keep working from when I was a kid and have a pretty easy transition into being an adult actor. And I've been working ever since on um, uh, many television shows from Ray Donovan to, like you said, Party of Five and um, Profiler and uh, Prison Break and you know, and then uh, a slew of independent movies like this. You know, these are my favorite movies to make, and um, um, it's so great when they actually get out there. So it's been a long, a long, a long journey for a long uh, journey for a little girl from New Jersey for sure. But I'm thankful to my mom who who believed in me and took that trek every day to New York. You know, she's she's part of the reason for sure that I'm here. Because that is a hefty trek going up the Garden State Parkway up there. You know, are you from New Jersey? I'm from Philly, and my grandparents' house is in uh, Forked River. So, oh my God! Of course, that's definitely that's 
That's right. Work of the right next to us. That's it amazing. sure is. And uh, it's, you know, I mean, my every vacation every summer was spent down there and going out to Barnegat Light, Long Beach Island, Beach Haven, Ship yeah. Bottom. Oh, yeah. Oh, LBI, baby, LBI. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And, of course, my heart, my heart broke with Hurricane Sandy to see all the damage that was done to LBI. But... It's yeah, it was they, heartbreaking. A lot of a lot of my fam, I mean, a few family members lost um, their homes down there and had a lot of. It was devastating for for a few of my family members. It was it was terrible to see Seaside Heights. Did you spend a lot of time in Seaside Heights? Oh my God, the very first big roller uh, that roller coaster was the first roller coaster I ever rode, and I rode it with my grandfather. So to see that land in the Aww. Atlantic Ocean broke my heart. Broke yeah, my heart. Yeah, me too, sweetheart. Devastated. So many memories of you know winning CDs on that boardwalk and eating pizza and you know crushing on boys. You know, uh, it's very nostalgic. First place I ever learned how to play skee ball. Oh, yeah, skee ball is awesome. <laughs> they have a lot of skee ball there. I know. <laughs> that is awesome. But you know, I I love that you have made this journey. But something the journey that you have made though. This is what adds more fuel to your to the fire with how impressed I am with your performance in Pretty Bad Actress is because you being a child actor, you never had that train wreck to then have to. No, re- thank to- God. Thank God. And, you know, that train wreck is real. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a very hard thing. I've, I've seen I've seen it happen. I um, I know it all too well. Like I said, I was very lucky, very yeah. lucky to be super grounded. My mom didn't put up with any BS. You know, she was, she was, she, I was able to do my thing, obviously, but she was very clear about, you know, what was okay and what was not okay. And for me, she just made it so much about the work that it wasn't about the other things, you know? And it was a different time. You know, I feel like now celebrities are exposed to so much. You can't do anything without cameras in your face, you know, or yeah. being written about or. You know, so it is a different climate now. But, yeah, I'm really lucky that, you know, I just had a mom that, that genuinely supported me. And, you know, she weaned out any bad – she thought there was a bad person coming into my life. They were very quickly weaned out. You know, she was, you know, very, very good like that. And I'm grateful to her for that. Uh, so, you know, what do you look for when a part comes your way, a script crosses your desk now? Oh, for, for, for me now, um, it's just – it's, it's something that I've never done before. When I get scared, when I read something and I go, oh, my God, I can't do this, and I want to actually, like, throw up a little bit, that's what I want to do next. Um, because it's, it's so right now for me, I love what I do so much, and I'm at that point where I really want to challenge myself even more. Um, love, I mean, um, Pretty Bad Actress was extremely challenging for me, mm-hmm. and that way it was such a different role than I'd play. So. More of that, more of roles that, that challenge me. When I read a script and, and it's a character that I haven't played, um, that really excites me, really excites me. Now, uh, I know you have coming up, what, Cradle Robber is coming up? Yes, I have a movie called Cradle Robber coming up. Um, yes, that's, that's coming out very shortly. And um, I don't know when it's coming out or um, uh, in what forum, but it is definitely coming out. So, um, yeah, Cradle Robber. 
And then um, I'm also working on producing more. I had a movie that I produced called um, Battle Scars that was released um, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had an amazing time on that. So I'm really, I'm really getting um, my teeth into more producing, which is great, and producing more content for me to also be in, but also produce. I was going to say, content for you to be in, the key, the key for an actor. <laughs> yes, right? Create your own work. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I was just listening to a speech that Reese Witherspoon gave uh, at a banquet not too long ago. And that was how she started her production company was to create work for herself and for women like her. Uh, because yeah, 100%. And she's an inspiration. I love her. She's what she's doing right now. She's ruling the world really and 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 doing it with a with an amazing with amazing smile and grace she's 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 a hero of mine she's spectacular not only a tremendous actor but a great producer and a and and such an amazing um amazing um example for women she's just she's so strong and she's just ruling the world i love her oh you and me both well unfortunately I have to let you go because we've got Lee Aronson, television titan himself, holding. Um, Ooh, amazing. Don't want to make him hold any longer. <laughs> I'm super glad that we got to talk and that you enjoyed the movie, Debbie. I really oh, appreciate it. You promise me you'll come back on the show, Heather, because I would love to talk to you more. hundred percent, sweetheart. Anytime you ask, I will be there. And, of course, everybody can see Pretty Bad, Actri- Pretty Bad Actress. It comes out August 10th. This Friday. That's correct. August 10th. Oh, th- Heather, thank, thank you so much. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Absolutely, Debbie. Take care of yourself, okay, sweetheart? Bye-bye, Heather. Bye, honey. And that was Heather McComb, pretty bad actress. And, yes, there was some some bubbling on the other end of the phone. It was not here in the studio, so there was nothing we could do to correct it. Um, so we apologize for that. But if you listen, you can hear what you, what Heather was saying about pretty bad actress. And now I am beyond excited, beyond thrilled to welcome Lee Aronson to behind the lens. Welcome Lee. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. This is an absolute treat. I have been such an admirer of your work for decades now. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I'm that old, yes. I'm that old, too, so <laughs> I think you've only got a year on me. So, uh, but <laughs> what you have produced, what you have written over the years, and you survived Charlie Sheen. So, I mean, yeah. this, is, this is big. And now you have jumped into the director's chair for your first feature, and it's a feature documentary. And 40 years in the making, the magic music movie. And I've got to tell you, it is magic watching this. I love this doc, Lee. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, your, so nice to hear. your approach to this, so often with music documentaries, uh, where you're doing profiles or biopics, You've got a lot of talking heads. Yeah, you go down, you look at some old clips or this, that, and the other. But you personalized this film, which is where the appeal really comes in for me and and really pulled me in because you were a fan of Magic Music, a group from the 70s. And 
this was your oh. own this was your own journey to explore what happened to them and then hopefully maybe get a reunion so the, and then narrating this yourself as an on-screen walk through the woods of Colorado um you know very affable very amiable just an absolute delight you had me hooked for at the very beginning oh well, that's very nice of you to say i will i will tell you a little back uh behind the scenes secret uh the woods i was walking through were uh just off of Mulholland in los shh, angeles shh. no we're not going to say that no <laughs> <laughs> you know what what because the story that you have come te- that you are telling, because Magic Music, they were only a viable group in in various incarnations from seventy to seventy six. And at the top of the show, I mentioned their music uh, and their sound very akin to Loggins and Messina of the day, Pure Prairie League. Um, really, an enjoyable sound. But they never, and mm-hmm. now now we learn why they never got that record deal and. Granted, shoes and bare feet had a lot to do with it at different points. <laughs> but I'm curious mm-hmm. how you develop, how you started and embarked on this journey when the group has been disbanded for so long. Everybody has gone in different directions, although some of the original band members are still very viable in the music world, such as Chris Daniels. So I'm curious how you started this whole journey of making this film. Well, I'd, I'd never really forgotten about magic music. Um, the music stayed in my head uh, after I left Boulder and uh, in the back of my mind, like an earworm, you know. Occasionally the tune would come to me. And as I say in the film, I, I sang a couple of them to my kids when they were babies. So it wasn't a matter of, of a new idea coming to me. It was a matter of uh, an idea developing over many years. And when I retired from television and was thinking to myself, what do I want to do next? Um, it, this little idea suddenly presented itself to me as the thing that I really should be doing now. Well, number one, I can't believe you retired from television. This is a travesty in my book. Um, but if it means you're going to make films and make films like this, I'm all for it. You know, thank you. Who did you, where did your journey start? Was there one of the musicians, one of the original band members from where this journey commenced? Yeah. Um, well, because the way I started looking for them was with Google and I would Google magic music and I would come up with singing magicians. And then I thought to Google Magic Music Boulder, and I came up with an article about Chris Daniels and the Kings. And the article mentioned that one of the bands that Chris Daniels used to be in was Magic Music. So I contacted Chris, and that's really where it started. And through Chris, um, I was able to reach many of the other members. Well, you know, you're very well known for scripting television series. You know how to write. You know how to tell a story. But that a documentary is a whole different animal. How did you actually find your through line to develop a story around? 
that was really trial and error. It was a year and a half of editing. You know, we had 100 hours of footage. Wow. As you can imagine, um, you know, a, a story that uh, extends over four decades is not easy to condense into 90 minutes of film. Um, I, I think my experience doing scripted programming helps because I know how structure works. Um, and I know how beginning, middles, and ends work. But with scripted programming, you do all the hard work before you shoot. Mm-hmm. You've got to put it all in the script. With a documentary, the work starts after you've shot, and you've got to try and find the pieces to put together into a coherent structure. Mm-hmm. Now, were you editing as you went? Because you have a vast amount of interviews from a number of people. And I have to say, we have two ex-wives that you interview. There is not a hint of animosity. There is, it's like they're so happy to be part of this, so happy to be, have been part of the Maz- Magic Music family. That was particularly striking to me. You know, uh, even people that had parted company on the, on, not the best of terms. There's still this familial take that comes out in all of the interviews. And then you have archival photos. And then you bring in animation or illustration to serve as a transitions, which I have to say, your transitions are set up perfectly. This could air on television with commercial breaks already incorporated. So um, so I'm, I'm curious how you went about approaching all of this. Was it as you went, or did you wait until you had amassed all of this material before uh, you sat down to edit with uh, Kyle? Well, we, we shot in five different phases over a year and a half. And after each phase, um, I would uh, have an assembly put together. So that, you know, when we, we went to Boulder and we shot them playing on campus, I would have an assembly made of that. When we visited uh, um, Eldorado Canyon, we, I would have an assembly made of that. Um, and the interviews would be interspersed with the assemblies. Mm-hmm. And that was the starting point. Mm-hmm. Once you had that starting point, and then you're in the editing bay, you've got your five phases. How did you then make it all come together? And did you have that culminating reunion concert already in the bag at that point? Well, um, once, yeah, once we planned to shoot the concert, I knew that was going to be, you know, at the end of the film. If mm-hmm. not, I didn't know that it, whether it was going to be the, the actual... Uh, ending moment of the film. I didn't know what the ending moment of the film was going to be until we went back uh, nine months after the concert and finally got um, uh, one of the members uh, on camera that we hadn't had playing with the band up until then. Mm-hmm. That was Das. Yeah. That that. When, yeah. When when that happened, uh, I knew I had the ending of my movie. And and it seems to me that somebody else was sitting in on that little jam session, singing along. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a college student, you know, it was my big fantasy 
for these really cool guys to invite me to join them, you know, on the bus. And uh, they finally did. It was great. <laughs> yeah, but this time they weren't using any any school buses, were they? No. No. <laughs> What was the impetus for you to bring in the uh, the the illustrations as segue points with because I think they're absolutely fabulous and some of them are so funny with what you do with them. Oh, well, thank- they're go- they're gone, falls off the screen. I mean, really entertaining stuff, Lee. <laughs> well, it was really uh, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, there just is no archival video or film of magic music and Mm -hmm. so i was facing the choice of either producing a film that was a series of talking heads which i think would get boring or finding some other way to visually depict some of these uh anecdotes or or journeys that they made and um we tried a couple of illustrators and and micah turned out to be the guy who just really nailed it and and brought that feeling that we wanted that, that kind of vintage uh, that vintage feel mm-hmm. to it. And, and, and I'm particularly glad that you like the falling off the roof. Oh, God. I, I absolutely love that. Yeah, it's like you don't expect to laugh. And at that moment, I'm so intent on following their stories. And he's talking about, oh, yeah, you know, I had to get a job to, as a roofer. And next thing you know, we have an illustration. And off he goes. Falls <laughs> off the screen. And... You just you can't help but laugh. I mean, you tap into so many emotions with this. You use the music throughout. You use the magic music music throughout the film, which is wonderful, so that everybody knows what their music is. Um, but it also it harkens back to that different time, that different place than where we are now. And I think. Everybody needs to be reminded of that right now to get some kind of peace or some kind of quiet. And I really, I love that structure with that undercurrent of their music playing. Mm -hmm. Well, there are undeniable parallels between then and now. Very very uh, much so. And that's the other thing you incorporate really well are the news headlines of the day so that you're giving us a timeline based on current events during the six years that the group was, was before it called, they called it quits in 76. Uh, and that also very well done, you know, with the animated cut and paste style layers upon layers sliding, you know, transitionals, but you you captured everything, and as I was watching, it felt very it felt very contemporary. Unfortunately, for the political zeitgeist, um, yeah. But then you you countered that with the purity of the music. All I can say is I, I I'm flattered uh, that you respond so positively. If it's suckly, I would tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I truly would. You know, what What has been the biggest, what was the biggest hurdle for you? Going from producing and writing and even directing some television to directing a feature. Was there a hurdle? Was there a learning curve for you? 
Well, of course, there's a learning curve. I, did, I didn't have a clue when I started how to make a documentary. Um, what I did was I, I surrounded myself with really good people, like um, my producer, Fleur Seville, and my director of photography, Dean Cornish. Um, and that gave me a, a level of uh, security that I could actually do this. Mm-hmm. Who did your research on this one? the political research and all, because I just, I just think that was impeccably done. The political, you, you mean for the headlines? And yeah. Stuff? The headlines and the archival stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did the, I did the searching out of the news stories cause I lived through it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I picked out what I thought was most, you know, relevant or apropos. And uh, we had people organizing everything, all the archival photos and, and, and things like that. It was, it was a complex operation, and uh, Floor really pulled it all together because I have no organizational skills whatsoever. <laughs> when did you decide that you were going to be our guide on this musical journey? Uh, that again, that was a late decision. I wanted it. I didn't really want to be in the movie and, uh, Fleur thought I should be in the movie and I resisted it and I resisted it. And then the last thing we shot was me walking through the woods, uh, because after looking at a rough cut and screening it for some people, it became very apparent that really needed some connective tissue, sort of a guide for the audience this very complex story so reluctantly i did it and apparently it, it works for people so i'm okay with it but i really don't like seeing myself on screen <laughs> well you look lovely on screen just so you know well thank you you know were there any supr- real surprises for you either in production or in w- the revelations about the band were there any big revelations for you um, as you went on oh, along on this, you know the revelations were all in in how real life differed from you know my youthful fantasy mm-hmm. of what was going on, um, and you know a lot of that is what you'll see in the movie. So I don't want to spoil it now. No, we don't want to spoil that. Now, have you kept in touch with any of the band members since you completed the doc? And have they seen it? Oh, what sure. They- We've all been touched. Yeah. Um, they, they've come to a... Uh, are you there? Oh, I'm here. I'm here, Something's Lee. beeping on me. I don't have any beeping on our end. We're clear on this that end. That was my call waiting. That was your call yeah. waiting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I saying? I'm sorry. Oh, about keeping in touch and have the have the band members seen oh, yeah, it? And yeah, what yeah. did they think? Um, yeah, of course. The band members have uh, they played for uh, the Napa Valley Film Festival and the Boulder Film Festival, and that, those were marvelous experiences. And the first time they saw the doc was at Napa Valley. And it was very, very gratifying to me that they approved of it, you know, that they liked it because it was uh, my mission really to do them justice and do the music justice and have them feel that I've done them justice. Well, you know, the the big question, though, 
Have they cut an album? They, uh, there is the album that is discussed in the film that they made a few years ago, or at least a few of them did. But uh, for the release of the film, we're releasing a soundtrack, which consists exclusively of tracks that they recorded between 1970 and 1976, which were never released. And the film is scored with these tracks. It's all new music that, you know, that is old. So, uh, when, old music that is new. Everything old is new again. Always. Always. Right. When, will yeah. the, when will the soundtrack uh, be released? Well, there are two songs available now on Spotify and Apple Music and other places where good music is streamed. And the entire album, I think, drops September 13th. Ooh, vinyl, I hope. Uh, I don't think vinyl at this point. There will be a CD, but if there's enough interest, certainly we'd look into vinyl. Well, right now, I think, and the film is already open in New York. It opened Friday, opening in L.A. this Friday, the 10th, and then you've got a national rollout. September 14th. I'm sorry, September 14th, the album dropped. Oh, album is September 14th. Okay. I I must pre-order. This is that was for my information. I must pre-order, uh, and then if it comes out in vinyl, I will have to. Everybody get must pre-order. Well, and everybody must go see this documentary. New York can already see it. L.A. can yes. can see it this Friday, and then slowly you're going to do a platform so that it will go into other cities throughout the country. Right. You can go to uh, magicmusicmovie.com and exactly where and when it's opening and how to see it and sign up for the mailing list and be alerted for uh, the soundtrack release. Incredible. So what's next for you, Lee? Now that now that you are putting uh, mag- one. <laughs> now that you're putting magic music out in the world, what what will you give us next? I don't know. Uh, I honestly don't have a cue. I didn't know that I was going to do the movie before I did it. I am a firm believer that if you show up for life, uh, you will end up where you're supposed to be. And I, I don't know what's coming next, but I know I'll recognize it when I see it. Well, I'm so glad that you recognized this and that you made 40 Years in the Making, the Magic Music movie, um, because it is... Well, thank you so much. It truly is. It's one of my fave docs of the year, and it's a feel-good documentary to boot. So, thank you. Oh, Lee, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back on the show sometime in the future. Anytime, just ask. Uh, don't worry, I shall. I'm not shy. Lee Aronson, thank All you right. so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. And that was Lee Aronson now directing 40 Years in the Making, The Magic Music Movie in theaters in New York now, in L.A. this Friday. Soundtrack drops on September 14th. MagicMusicMovie.com All right. Well, now we're going to go back to The Force of Pooh. And I think we're going to hear what Jim Cummings has to say about voicing Pooh and Tigger. Sounds like a plan, Pam? All right, here we go with Jim Cummings. 
Jim, another, another amazing, amazing job. I mean, the last time we got to talk was for the last animated Pooh movie, and here you are still. Animated. And always. You're always animated. You know, because you have been voicing Pooh Tigger for so long, I'm curious, what is the magic of these characters for you, and especially now, with this film, where they really are brought to life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, well, I, I can't even describe it. I, I uh, you know, I just have to say truly that it's it's a blessing and an honor, and uh, oh, look, it's my daughter. <laughs> Daddy can't talk right now. <laughs> Hi. And where was I? No, I was nowhere. No, it's a, it's. I, I swear, I, I feel like it's a blessing. It's an honor. It's a privilege to carry these forward to to a new generation, and in such a fresh way. Oh my gosh, you know they're 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 absolutely beautiful. These little guys, and I, I've even I even have a teddy bear at home of my own that's about sixty years old, and uh, and he looks like he could. It's all I could do to keep from, you know, throwing him into the hundred acre wood with the rest of his friends. It's just so sweet and so uh, such a blessed feeling, um, you know. And the reception has been so beautiful to the movie, and I think, uh, you know, it gets me just as much as it does anybody else when when Pooh sits because I, I feel like I'm in the audience. I'm never like on the screen, you know. Uh, I'm literally never on the screen, but even if it's my voice, I just. You know, and and when he recognizes Christopher, and sees you, and oh my God, Christopher Robin, and it's just wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. it gets me right in the feels, which is apparently a new expression. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any trepidation when you initially took over the voicing of Pooh from Sterling? Way back when, well, gosh, back then, it uh, Pooh hadn't been around for twenty some years. Yeah, you know, uh, back in nineteen eighty seven. It was that movie that was out in the early 60s, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the audience. Um, so uh, I, at the point, I, I, I just approached it as, oh, wow, Winnie the Pooh. Oh, gosh, yeah, that was such a cool, great, you know, I enjoyed that a lot. My, my little brother liked it more than I did because I was too old. But um, I thought, well, this is great. What a cool thing. And then I ended up being Tigger as well. Paul retired, and, you know, God bless him. They both since passed away, and um, no, I, it wasn't trepidation so much as just excitement. And and I hope. And at this point, I, I feel like a, it's a duty to do it right. You know, I have to preserve it. I have to keep it going. You know, I say a lot that. Um, oh gosh, 1929, uh, Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, and um, and Snow White. You know, all came out, and they could all be released now, and they'd probably do. Rather well, you know, and so uh, these they last forever. That's my point. And uh, you know, I these movies don't go anywhere. You know, they'll always be there. And so I, I, I just hope that it comes across and everybody loves it as much as we all did. You know, mm-hmm. beautiful thing. What kind of challenges do you face? Because in what is the process like for you voicing? Because there are many scenes where you've got Tigger Pooh, especially singing. And they're voicing on top of each other. So how many times do you have to go in studio? Do you do each character, then separate? You go and once mm-hmm. do poo, then do, and then do a mix? Or Yeah, you know, I always like to do uh, poo first. I always jump in and, and uh, he, he, because he's sort of a feather, he's up there. 
He's right at the bottom of my falsetto on top of my tenor, which I don't know if I have a tenor, but vocally speaking, it's in that neck of the woods, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I, you know, I just kind of want get, to get him done and make sure that, because it's a feathery sound. I, I describe, you know, because Sterling Holloway, it, it's basically just doing Sterling's original voice and, mm. you know, dipping it in honey and all the things that we do. Uh, and he wasn't really doing anything. That was just him talking. So I just have to be true to the original sound as, as best I can. And then Paul Paul Winchell's, you know, his ticker was well, a little more gruff down there and a little more gravel in there and sand and stuff. Don't stand too close. <laughs> but um, and so I I just do ticker second. Yeah. And uh, how do you do them both? Well, I don't. I get it. Helps that we're schizophrenic, <laughs> and so are we. That's now, did, sure. did you and Ewan have a chance to actually work together to get the cadences and the timing and the rhythm no. right? Totally separate. Yeah, it's uh, the way we did it is uh, they recorded me first uh, a long time ago uh, over in London, and then you know things changed, the scenes changed, copy, you know, the dialogue changes, uh, the script changes, and but what it did, you know, it gave them a chance to to play it back. So that he wasn't in a, you know, a total vacuum mm-hmm. out there, and I, I think he should get an Academy Award. They all should. Uh, I thought that about the little guy in Jungle Book too, because he's basically sitting there giving this astonishing acting performance and bouncing it off of a, a little gray lump of uh, unanimated doll, or, you know, l- like a lump of clay, and he's just doing this bang-up job, and it's just me talking, and then even, oftentimes, it would even be the puppeteer subbing in for a different line, and uh, and so that's that's kind of how they did it, and then after they got that part done, the, got the principal photography done, they, they pulled in the CGI animals, and according to the lighting and the fur and everything, and it's so realistic, I can't believe it, uh, and then I went in and re-looped and fixed all the, the lip flaps and, you know, to make it look organic. Mm-hmm. And it looks pretty good. Other than Pooh and Tigger, what are some of your favorite characters that you have voiced? Because you've now, you've even entered the Star Wars realm of doing voices. Yes, I have. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I did, it's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, I think you could be a cog in a wheel in a Star Wars anything, and people will go, oh, my God, that's, are you kidding? You were the wheel? You know? <laughs> uh, so, but, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's kind of fun. Hondo Onaka, speaking of my favorites, Hondo from, from Star Wars Clone Wars, he is definitely one of my favorites. Um, he just was supposed to be in, I think, like two or three storyline arc in uh, uh, Star Wars Clone Wars originally uh, years ago. And he kind of came in, and, and I, I tend to ad-lib a lot, and, and I, I pad my part, based this is all I'm doing. But um, people responded nicely to it, and so uh, they got written into a few more. Then the next season, a few more. And next, Then Clone Wars came out, and they kept adding him. And so uh, it's great. He's one of my favorites. If you want to know a favorite, he's definitely way up there. And, um, and Darkwing Duck, good old the terror that flaps in the night. Uh, he's never never make it to the hundred acre wood, but that's okay. He's, he's, he's over there in Saint Canard. Um, yeah, if he showed up in this, it'd be weird. Um, and I gotta tell you, Princess and the Frog, uh, Ray from Princess and the Frog. He was uh, 
yeah, I, you know, halfway through, I said, wait a minute, this is Jiminy Cricket, isn't it? <laughs> and they go, yeah, ah. And uh, like I say, I'm just in the audience, too, so that, that kind of works for me. And, and uh, you know, it had everything. Um, uh, New Orleans is my second home, you know, and uh, my little girl, Gracie, uh, not the one who just called, but uh, she she was four years old at the time, and in the beginning of the movie, Princess Tiana was about four years old at the time, and they looked just alike. You know, she adopted me, um, and so you couldn't have told her that she wasn't Princess Tiana, and she got to meet Anika at the premiere and everything, and it was just a beautiful thing. So uh, he is very near and dear to my heart, and, you know, being from New Orleans, I had that Cajun accent down, and it was just fun, those guys. Uh, so I guess Ray... Darkwing, uh, Hondo Onaka, and uh, well, I mean, you know, I have to stop there because I'll be here going down. <laughs> and that one guy, that hurdy gurdy guy, and that third episode of The Mask, you know, we don't, we don't want that. And that was Jim Cummings' voice of Tigger and Pooh in Christopher Robin. That is all the time we have today. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Yeah.